Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. So this week we continue our sermon series, Invite. You might remember last week I started by saying that invitation is an incredibly important theme that we find in the Scriptures. Last week we looked at the passage which is called the the calling of the, the first disciples. But as I said to you, I like to refer to it as the invitation to the, the first disciples. We saw that Jesus didn't go to the people that the world would consider to be the, the, the higher ups. He didn't go to people that had a, a lot of earthly wealth or power to wield. He didn't go to the top theological people, didn't go to the leaders of the church, the priests, or the, the prophets. Jesus went to a group of fishermen. And the reason that he did that was he was looking for a group of people that would be willing to follow him. He wasn't interested in what the world saw as powerful and rich and glorified. He was looking for a group of people who would be willing to follow him and would go and do the work of the kingdom with him. And this week we take a, a slightly different tack where we're going to look at an invitation to a particular group of people. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't particularly like being an outsider. I don't think anybody ever does. You just feel that you, you just don't fit in. And maybe it's others who are making you feel that way. And more often than not, that is the case, where others maybe make you feel that you don't fit in. But this morning we come to a wonderful passage that's rich with so many things that we could be here all day talking about it. However, there's a couple of things that immediately jump out at us. The first is that Jesus does not want to be an outsider in the life of anyone. And the second thing is that Jesus wants to break down the very idea of what an outsider looks like, and indeed, whether there should even be a category of outsider at all. We start off our passage, we read that Jesus has been out doing the, the ministry of the kingdom, and that he's now decided to go back to Galilee, as the priests have, have started to, to recognize what Jesus is doing. He's no doubt tired and weary, and he needs to travel through Samaria. We hear that he comes to Sakar, the, the site of Jacob's well, and it's here that he has this encounter with the Samaritan woman. Now, if we were to look at the word outsider in a Galilean dictionary at that time, there would be a picture of this woman right next to it. This woman was the ultimate outsider. She is a Samaritan, and in the Jewish culture, straight off the bat, she is secondary. 
Equally, she's a woman in a very male-dominated society. And the third thing is that we know from what Jesus reveals later that she isn't married. And again, in a society such as that, you, you really lost your security. Really lost your security. She is the ultimate outsider. But yet here is this encounter with Jesus. You can almost imagine her as you start to read it, just getting on with her, her business as she's coming to the well for some water, probably trying not to draw attention to herself. And it's Jesus that speaks first. Jesus says, give me a drink. A simple request, but it's a really interesting interaction. Because in this culture, there's no way that the Samaritan woman would have sparked up that conversation. It needed to be Jesus. Jesus was going to her. Did not want to be an outsider in this situation. And the reason that the woman wouldn't have sparked up the conversation, there are a few reasons. One is that he's male and two that he is Jewish. And her response is really interesting. It isn't to immediately go and get him the water. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? She's picked up on the fact that they are different. And that the Jewish people didn't like the Samaritans very much. And if we think about that parable of the Good Samaritan, what made that parable so shocking was that it was the Jewish men that came off worse in that story. And it's the Samaritan who is the good person, who looks after the person who's been robbed and beaten up. And the thing is, just as the Jewish people struggled with the Samaritans, the Samaritans struggled with the Jewish people too. As Moira read out, it says here, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. You could almost imagine a kind of sass in her voice to Jesus. What do you mean for me to get you a drink? What's giving you the authority to, to ask this of me? Who do you think you are? But the thing is, Jesus wasn't looking down on her. We continue through this passage. You can almost see that something is happening in her heart. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. Something obviously breaks down that wall or, or fence that she's put up as a defense because she continues on in the conversation. She says, sir, you have no bucket and this well is deep. Where did you get this living water that you're talking about? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob? She calls him sir. She's gone from potentially being offended and on the defensive that this Samaritan woman who has probably even been shunned by her own people, put out to the margins, requires her to put up this defense. But when Jesus requested that she might give him a drink, her response was immediately to think that Jesus was looking down upon her, looking to, to lord it over her. This snobby Jewish rabbi was now trying to 
lord it over her. But that wasn't the case at all. Jesus was thirsty, and he wanted to speak to her. And now we get to hear in this conversation a really interesting thing, because not only do we see this woman's heart start to soften, we also find out that she's actually quite intelligent and articulate woman. While she might have been shunned and put off to the side, we read that she seems to understand something about this faith. She recognizes it's Jacob's well. She knows the history of her people. She says to Jesus, are you greater than Jacob? And Jesus' replies in verses 13 and 14, where he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. That's Jesus' way of saying, you better believe it. You better believe that I am greater than Jacob. You see, the water from this well will quench your thirst for a short while. But if you take a drink of the living water that I offer you, then you'll never thirst again. So the Samaritan woman says, well, give me this water so that I might never be thirsty again. Might not have to keep coming back to this well to draw water. She hasn't quite grasped what Jesus was saying and what she's being invited to. This living water is for all people. Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink this water, this living water that I'm offering, will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The invitation is there for everyone. And for all those who accept that invitation, they now no longer need to thirst in their soul. Jesus isn't talking about the water in the well. He's talking about that dryness in our souls as human beings. Everyone, everyone goes through periods of that dryness in their soul, even if they don't know what it is. It might even be that they've never even heard of Jesus or the gospel. But every single person has a thirst in their life. They might not call it their soul. They might not really know what it's all about. But everyone tries to quench that thirst somehow. And that's why we see so many things going on in our world. People who think that if they just had a little bit more money, I'll feel better. If I have a, a bigger house, another job, a better job, if I become more successful or if I'm famous, things will, will just be perfect. But we know that it's not the case. And of course, the extreme is as people chase this peace that they seek, or a happiness, or even just an escape, it can lead to the use of, of drugs or alcohol or various other harmful things that we can do to ourselves. But Jesus is saying that no one who comes to me and drinks that living water will ever need to thirst for that stuff. that the living water will gush up in them like a stream to eternal life. 
And what a wonderful invitation. But our passage doesn't stop there. Jesus says, go and get your husband and come back. The woman answers that she doesn't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right in saying that you have no husband. You've had five. And the man who you're with now is not your husband either. It's clear that this woman is the ultimate outsider. There's a reason why she's come to the well by herself. Probably no one wanted to go with her. You can imagine this woman's excitement. This outsider who has been part of this amazing conversation with Jesus. Here she is at the well and he's not looking down upon her. They're having this wonderful conversation about eternal life. And then she gets this hammer blow. Maybe Jesus is just like everybody else. He's obviously heard the stories. He's obviously heard about me. And here comes the, the bashing and the, the judgment. But that doesn't seem to square things off for her. Seems so different to the man that she's just been talking to. How could he possibly have heard about her? He's not from this place. And Jesus could have shunned her from the very beginning. Why would he start up this conversation with her and get to this wonderful invitation and new revelation? The woman's conclusion and response is to say that she can see that he is a prophet. Jesus just knows her in a way that only a prophet could but she still can't get past these old divisions. She says, our ancestors worshipped on the mountain, but you say that the place we need to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, hold on a minute. There has been a lot of division, but there will come a point, there will be a day where all that division will fall away. And it's not about worshipping the Father in one specific geographical location. For while it is from the Jewish that salvation will come, and Jesus is talking about himself there. He continues on in verse 23, where he says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And now we know that the Samaritan is aware of faith and her response is that she knows that the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ, that when the Messiah came, he would proclaim all things to them. And Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah, the one who is speaking to her. What a wonderful revelation. Do you need a drink, Margaret? What a wonderful revelation. And then the disciples come back. Purposefully omitted that from the, the reading that Moira read out. 
But the disciples come back. They have nowhere they just arrive. They have no idea of what has gone on at the well. They've been away getting the, the supplies. We read that they were going away off to the town to, to get some food. Their immediate thought is to the Samaritan woman, what do you want? And amazingly, you can almost hear their disgust with Jesus too, because here they say, why are you speaking to her? We read that the woman leaves her jug of water and heads back towards the city. Jesus had broken down the barriers, the fences, the walls that, that had been put up. He created this opportunity through invitation. He invites the Samaritan woman into that conversation, but the disciples in an instant an instant have created an environment where that could have all been for nothing. They bring in their prejudice. They're fencing off of Jesus. Who's allowed to speak to him? You might remember a few weeks ago when we were looking at the, the story of where Jesus is saying, bring the children to me. The disciples are telling them to be quiet and get away. Jesus doesn't want us to fence him off from people. But the disciples come along and immediately do what we're all guilty of at times. For there are people who are just not part of our group. We've just made, they've just made it quite clear that that's the case when they arrive. And she runs off back to her city, leaving her jug behind. Now, a number of things could have happened here. She might have taken the disciples' attitude as a, another kind of punch in the face. But that's not what happens. We read that the Samaritan woman goes back to the city and she speaks to her people. She invites them to come and see this man who's told her everything about her life. She even wonders, he can't be the Messiah, can he? This invitation by Jesus that was extended to the Samaritan woman has now spread. A woman who had been treated as an outsider, probably even more so from her own people, has had her life transformed, and she can't contain it. She cannot keep it to herself. She needs to go and share it with her people. And now the invitation is extended to them to come and to see this man, the one who will give living water. And in verse 39 it says, many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. We read that Jesus goes and speaks to them and he stays with them for a couple of days. And then the closing out, where it says it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've now heard it for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Invitation is so important. Jesus invited the Samaritan woman, the outsider, and by doing that, it shows us that there should be no such thing as an outsider. 
he used the most extreme example in the Samaritan woman. But there are so many people in our own towns here in Rutherglen who've been pushed beyond the margin given the outsider status. The attitudes of the disciples who come back looking to try and keep that division going could have ruined everything that Jesus had done that day. That conversation that he'd had with the woman at the well, the disciples as they arrive in that one instant could have ruined it all with their attitudes. But Jesus is modeling to them and to us how we should treat people. This invitation that he extends to the Samaritan woman isn't just for her. It isn't just for a particular group of people. It's an invitation for everyone. Now, everyone might not accept the invitation, but the invitation is extended nonetheless to all. Thankfully, that excitement of the Samaritan woman, as she's been filled with this living water, is enough for her to rise above the disciples' attitude, and it takes her back to her own people. And the amazing result of realizing that Jesus accepted her for who she was, not shunned and made to feel like an outsider, pushed out to the margins, but that she was invited as someone who is valid, someone who matters, someone who was cared for. She knows that others need to hear that too. They need to be able to hear and accept that invitation for themselves. And that's the challenge for us here as the church in Rutherglen. How do we go about making sure that we are pointing people to the well? Rather than doing what the disciples did and create fences and, and walls, how do we stop putting barriers to people getting in. And that's it. That's the constant challenge because it's not like we can do just one particular thing and just leave it. It's so encouraging here at Stonelaw. We have these big glass doors. Not every church does. People are able to look in. We're not a, a closed shop. We're not closing our doors from one Sunday to the next. We're not closing people off. It's been amazing that our building is beginning to properly be back open again with a whole bunch of things, whether it's the hub or the cafe, through in the meeting place, the midweek services, the various groups that are beginning to start again, toddlers and the, the youth organization. It's great that we have people that are able to come through our buildings. We're definitely not a closed shop. But it's not just about that. Because we also need to keep ourselves in check. Our attitudes. Because this is, this is an attitude and culture thing just as much as it is programs and putting things on. We need to make sure that we don't find ourselves falling into the patterns and thinking like the disciples did, that there's a certain group or groups of people that are just not welcome here. 
We all have our anxieties over people that are different to us. And that's just human nature. We're going to look a bit, we're going to look at that next week. But we need to follow the, the pattern and the example of Jesus going to and inviting people that the world might consider to be an outsider. We could even follow the, the example of the Samaritan woman that we have heard this amazing good news of Jesus, this wonderful, wonderful news that we can taste and drink of the living water and never have to thirst again, that we've received this invitation. Will we go and do what the Samaritan woman does and share it with other people? Say, come, you need to hear this stuff because it really matters. It really matters. And I'm, I'm inviting you along because if you taste this living water, you'll never thirst again. That yearning that is in your soul can be quenched by Jesus and he offers it to you. You can have eternal life and that's the challenge for us. Week in and week out that our church would be more than just a place. But a group of people, a group of people who are known not for keeping people away, but a group of people who are inviting others to come and join us on this amazing journey with Jesus. That our main aim and mission is to constantly point people towards the well where people will have to thirst no more. So while the, the world might see them as an outsider, their Lord and Savior Jesus never does. And Jesus certainly doesn't want to be an outsider in their life or indeed ours. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the living water. We thank you that you invite us in. We thank you for that wonderful invitation to, to partner with you. We pray that as, as your followers and your disciples, we would we would have more of your attitude rather than disciples in this passage. Help us to, to lay aside any anxieties or prejudices that we might have. Help us to be more accepting like you were. That we wouldn't pick and choose who can receive that invitation to get to know you. We're truly sorry for when we've done that in the past. We pray that by your Spirit, we might be inspired and encouraged and emboldened to, to go and share the good news of Jesus with others. So Lord Jesus, would you use us that out of our thanksgiving, we might respond by spreading your invitation 
to our friends and our family, that our church would be more than just a building, but that it would be a community that is inviting constantly, that more would be able to come to the well and take that drink of living water that you so graciously, graciously invite people to. Lord Jesus, we offer this and indeed all of our prayers in your precious name. Amen.